like a moment from a horror movie. You have been hanging out in the wrong clubs, Mr. Wayne. I've seen this movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Join the club. We've got jackets. And you stole it from a movie. We want you in our club, kid. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Burke Reviews and Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me, as always, is Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And we actually are looking at each other for the first time in, in a couple of years. Uh, we used to do this on Skype, and we switched a while ago. Um, and the service that we use, I won't name because they're not a sponsor, um, added video. And we're like, hey, why not? You know, uh, the world's a Zoom call now, so which is not what we used to record, mind you. But we, we could. But I'm on that all day. I don't want to do that. Anymore. Yeah. Um, we're here tonight, though, not to talk about recording services, but rather uh, to continue in our month of bromance february 2021 uh we're gonna be talking about the fisher king um a movie that i still don't know how i was like so oblivious to its existence but it's from 1991 uh we'll get into all the stats and information about that film towards the middle of the episode but we like to first start with catching up seeing how we've been doing since the last time we recorded and talk about what else we've been watching since the last time we recorded which tonight i've got quite a bit so we'll see how that goes um cory how you doing you know, it's the weekend, um, and I work a short week next week, so I'm really excited about that, and the week after, actually. Um, oh. Yeah. I have about a month until spring break, um, and before okay. that, I have a yearbook deadline looming, um, which is, is getting ever more intense and frightening. Um, we are still s- struggling to get content for the yearbook because, you know, still kind of a weird school year and um half of my yearbook staff is on campus half is off campus so like that doesn't help with collaboration and also with them being able to do things because they can't go get an interview or or what happened i I feel bad this kid is doing um the softball and baseball pages and she's trying to get quotes and pictures of uh some of the athletes and I have to go and like look up. She'll like, here's the roster. She looks, uh, what class is this person? What class is this person? And so I look up like four or five people. Um, first, I have to make sure that they're they're face to face or on like they're on campus and not just online because otherwise, why send her to a classroom? And so after going through like ten people to find four who were supposed to be on campus, she then goes to their room to find out they're not there. Um, whether they stayed home because they chose to stay home because that is happening where some kids are like. They could, they, they're allowed to be on campus, but maybe they didn't feel like it that day and they can just get online and see the class anyway. So why bother or whatever? We have all these like moving parts all the time. So kid went to like four classrooms today and four classrooms on Wednesday and had no success. Like zero people were there um, that were like that she was looking for. There were other people there. And uh, so stuff like that. It's just, it's like crazy to finish this yearbook this year. And then uh, on top of that, people suspect that it's going to be a weird yearbook and we're selling less. And that's putting on a different type of pressure that I haven't had. Um, when I took over the, the, the yearbook uh, eight years ago, we, we averaged about a hundred and 120 sold only out of, you know, we have 1500 students now. I think we were at like 1200 then, but still we only sold about a hundred the first year. And that had been the average for a couple of years. Um, I did a lot of work. I had to trim the size of the book down reduce the price of the book. And, um, we started selling more. We got, and we also improved the quality of the book. And after two or three years, we, we started, we've averaged around 300 and 350 every year since, and still a small percentage of the overall population, but yearbooks are, are a kind of relic of the past. And not everybody appreciates a, a, a yearbook until you're older when you like, Hey, look at this, look at this great yearbook. Like in high school, it's, it's cool for a moment. But now like when I find my yearbook, it's a fun trip down memory lane, especially cause it's getting uh 21 years ago that i graduated high school so um it yeah, makes, that hurt a little i'm sorry um yeah. i it makes me think of um Lisa joan hart from can't hardly wait hunting, yes. hunting, and hey or i can't say it hey 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 and then we send my yearbook and i forget who finally throws it in the trash but that's okay. streaming on prime guys and that was uh, a funny moment. I had a f- I get phone calls all the time, especially this time of year from uh, people with yearbook questions or they want to buy a yearbook for their kid or um, and every once in a while, I'll get a phone call with someone looking for an old yearbook. And the person called, do, do I have any 2005, 2006 yearbooks? And I, I look, I have an inventory. I'm like, yeah, actually, I do. Um, we sell them at a discount. 
And as I went and got the book and brought it into the room to send it to the office so that the person could come by and pick it up, um, I was looking at my students and I'm looking at this yearbook and in my head. I'm like, 2005, 2006, that's not that long ago. And then I was like, what year were y'all born? <laughs> they were all, it was, it was a sophomore class. They were all born in 2005. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the age is starting to become more aware. Like, I for a long time, I still don't feel old, but I, my brain is starting to, like, become aware of the spatial distance between what i feel like and what is real like like oh five doesn't feel that long ago but no 15 years ago is a long time ago. <laughs> um so but true. yeah um but that that's what's been going on it's just a, a lot of yearbook stuff this week good some good stuff with the yearbook too and and uh you know um some otherwise normal work week for us florida uh, we are supposed to be a little chilly this weekend and um obviously we can't say we can't complain much because Texas, who is usually weather-wise comparative to Florida, not right now. And I'm I'm grateful that we're not expecting like snow this week because that's my horror. Is like if Florida ever actually got snow, I can't imagine any of us surviving it. Like none of us are equipped for snow here. Like it's not it's never been a possibility. Suddenly it feels like it could because of Texas, but um, like. I'm like, my house, nope, we'd be done. Like, I, aside from, like, the pipes breaking and all of that side, just just if it snowed, I'm sure we would be done. Like, I don't, I think the house might collapse. I don't know if it, you know, like, the weight of the snow would hold, the, I don't think our roof could handle it. Like, it, it would be, I'm, I'm, of course, wildly speculating. I have no proof to anything I just said, but I'm just, in my head, it would be horrible. So, uh I'm happy it's just going to be like 50 degrees this weekend and not the snow that Texas saw. Think about all those people who moved down to Florida to get away from the snow. Yeah, I, I mean, it's or be me. to Texas. Because again, uh, from my understanding, like Texas, Texas has had like flurries, but I think never like, like a, this. 10 years ago, they had a bad snap like this. I think I was reading. I didn't read a whole I heard lot. a number from one of the news podcasts I listened to that was like 100 years. But that, that didn't say it hadn't snowed in 100 years, just that it hasn't Fair, been. like this this in a hundred years and i still don't know if that's accurate like what kind of records there would be for that like someone have like a book it's no real bad like i don't know (laughs) (laughs) Um, like idaho got well we got like a foot of snow uh like last week and apparently our one of the weathermen was like because one of my friends doesn't live far from me and she's like yeah the weatherman said to expect an inch of snow so i was like "Hmm." (laughs) you know We've had rain, uh, which is still kind of it's a little early for rain, um, like like where we've had days of rain. And like today, it was weird, it like poured for like 20 minutes and it was just weird looking all day. It was like gray, but it never rained again. Um, but yeah, we didn't mean to get into weather. We always end up on weather. It's just it's because it's, it's so complain about. wildly different, though. Yeah. As um, my students have an option for their uh, when we do a, a movie that one of the things they can do is a podcast like review. But I used to let them do it either by themselves or with partners. And now I've made it, they have to do it with partners. And I was like, but you don't have to, you know, be with people to podcast. You can podcast remotely. I'm like, I know because the two people I podcast with, one lives in England and one lives in Idaho. So I'm like as remote as possible, basically between the two. So, um, you, I'm like, you can handle like calling each other and recording it. It's, it's very possible. Um, but I think that's what's been going on. So why don't we talk about what we've been watching? I've got quite a few movies to get through. Uh, what have you been watching, Corey? Well, I um, love Jim Jarmusch's movie, Only Lovers Left Alive. Big fan. And they're reissuing the soundtrack on vinyl, which is really cool. Because um, I don't think it's been printed since the movie originally came out, I think, in 2014. So, of course, people have been like... Selling it for a ridiculous amount of money. So I pre-ordered that. Happy birthday to me. And then nice. <laughs> and then I wanted to rewatch the movie because I just love it so much. And it just hurts my heart every time I see Anton Yelchin on screen. Mm. But the whole cast is just yeah. phenomenal. It is. And I, I'm also a big Jarmusch fan. This this podcast is. We, uh, we've done a few of his movies on this show and we tend to, uh, to love them. Um I've only seen that one once, but I, I did like it a lot when I watched it. Um, and then I watched a new movie on Shudder. They've been releasing new movies pretty regularly lately. Um, it's called After Midnight, and I I really liked it. 
I was just like, hmm, because, you know, it pops up like, what's new? Or I get an email about it. And I don't know. I finished watching the um, Netflix docuseries, The Pharmacist. It was like one of those four-part docuseries. And then I started watching Shit's Creek. Um, ah. I'm, I think I'm like nine episodes into the first season. I was having a really hard time getting into it at first. It, Everything. I just, what? Everyone I've heard talk about this show, I haven't watched it, but everyone I've heard talk about it. And this is like film reviewers and people in real life. First season's supposed to be really, really tough. And then it's just awesome from there. That's I would what say I've heard. after like the fifth or sixth episode, I feel like they're trying too hard to be loud. Like that's the only hmm word i can think of to describe it it's just loud and i just can't handle that but i'm re- really starting to like it but that's interesting because i just have two friends that have been telling me to watch it for a long time and i'm like okay finally but that is all that i have wow um so i've been super busy um uh, <laughs> i'm prepping for astrology um for movie astrology not just like random astrology uh, i've been looking at the stars for it and um Isn't that, no that's it's, I mean, usually all, people who like, all the same. Know, I'm just yeah. generalizing here. If you, if you buy into astrology, you're surely into palm reading and psychics and such. I mean, like, right. Um, but, uh, so we're, we're going to be covering 1985 in astrology. So I've been trying to like hit some movies that I'd missed, um, as well as just, uh, some random stuff. So last week on HBO max, uh, thanks to the Warner brothers, um, deal with HBO, well, owning HBO and then they're, they, Every major release they have this year is dropping same day in theaters as it is on uh, HBO. You only get it on HBO for 30 days, though. And that's important to note because once 30 days is up, it will be gone from HBO Max until the DVD Blu-ray comes out. And then like a month later, like it normally would have been on HBO, you'll get it then. But it is going to leave. Like Wonder Woman's gone now. Um, And uh, the little things, which is skippable, will be gone in a couple of weeks. Um, but last week, Judas and the Black Messiah dropped, which is a film I'd been highly anticipating since I first saw the trailer over a year ago. Because I saw the trailer for that in, in the theater. Um, so it was definitely delayed. And uh, we were reviewing that one for the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. Uh, Matt and I both huge fans of this movie. It is fantastic. Our episode about it dropped the other day. Um, but I watched that. Then that night, um, there's a movie called Warrior from 2011 that stars Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton. And Nick Nolte is needs to be name dropped there as well. But um, it's an MMA movie. I'd been interested in it. I just never made it a priority. And I was uh, I had lunch with a friend on Saturday, and he brought it. I don't remember how it was brought up, but he brought it up. I was like, I should really watch that movie. I've I've had it for a while. I definitely want to watch it. Um, I put it on, and uh, I I was not anticipating loving the movie as much as I did, and I was really not anticipating being emotionally shattered. Like where to quote Corey ugly crying at the end of it um and it's probably in my i have to watch it again before i submit something like this but i feel like it's going to end up in my top 50 it it resonated with me in ways that i was not expecting a movie like this to um not to mention i already am a tom hardy fan i like joel edgerton but i forget how much i can like edgerton if he's in the right role i love him and he's so good in this movie uh so warrior check that out it's on um I think it's on a couple of services. I think Hulu and Prime right now. Um, and then again, I owned it, so that was easy for me. Uh, for astrology, I watched a Best Picture winner, Out of Africa, from 1985. Um, in my opinion, did not deserve to win Best Picture. Movie, boring. Very unbelievably torturously boring, and which is a shame because I love Meryl Streep and I love Robert Redford, but this movie did not work for me. I can totally see why it might for someone else. I was just so done and it's like three hours it was it was torture um but then i needed something else i needed a palate cleanser so i watched witness from 1985 uh harrison ford amish cop movie i've it's been on my radar for at least five or six years and i've been putting it off putting it off finally this was the right time to watch it perfect follow-up to out of africa because i had a blast watching it where i had no fun watching out of africa um glass is a little strong it's not like an action movie but i just love harrison ford and i'm like oh yeah harrison ford he's pretty great just awesome as a as a detective figure um next night uh because i'm still my i have a few goals for lists this year afi top 100 um the empire 100 which i completed and uh i want to watch all the best picture winners from the time that i've been alive so from 82 to now I want to have seen all the best picture winners 
And so I watched uh, Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven from 1992. Really liked that movie. Um, I was actually, I uh, Eastwood has grown on me at the last, I've watched Once Upon a Time in the West and now this, and I'm like, man, I like him more than I have ever admitted. Um, and so there's that. Uh, I watched The Black Cauldron, which is a Disney animated movie right before uh, the the Renaissance of sorts. It was in the tail end. It's a fantasy, kind of dark for a Disney movie. Um, I, I will admit I, I didn't like give it a hundred percent of my attention, but I, uh, I I enjoyed what I saw. I, I don't know that I can really speak to like it being good or bad, but I, I thought it was compelling enough of a story. I didn't find the characters annoying. I, it's not a musical. Um, it is a straight like fantasy, like um, I don't know, like a Lord of the Rings esque type, like coming of age story, but it's, it's entertaining. Um, watch the Fisher King for this. Uh, then last night I watched Spies Like Us, which is another 1985 movie. Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, um, mediocre comedy uh, for sure, directed by uh, John Landis. So, uh, you know, not a perfect director, but, you know, he did uh, American Werewolf in, in London and then uh, Coming to America, both of which I am fans of. Um, but I Spies like, like Us. If you make American Werewolf, if you make that movie, then you can do whatever you want. Yeah. That movie's and, amazing. And even have a kind of horrible son named max um so yeah you know it's whatever um but it, it wasn't a bad movie but it's i i don't know i'm not a huge chevy chase fan uh i like him in certain things and then dan Aykroyd, love him in ghostbusters my girl and that's kind of like you know oh my girl yeah i don't have like a big fandom for Aykroyd. like he's he's not bad and stuff but i love him in ghostbusters um tonight though is the night i've been waiting for Corey. Um, we're a movie we're going to be covering on Bloody Awesome next week, but a movie I've been waiting to watch for quite a while, uh, Nomadland, the Chloe Zhao um, film with Francis McDermott uh, that has all of the Oscar buzz right now. Every, it's expecting uh, Best Director nomination, Best uh, for Best Lead Actress, and probably Best Picture nominations, and they are the front runner for a lot of people. Um, it dropped on Hulu today. Uh, so anyone can watch it if you have a Hulu subscription. So I I was like, okay. I'm going to get the, watch this tonight. And um, I like it a lot. I I like Chloe's, my favorite Chloe's album movie that I, I've only seen one other film of hers, to be fair. But it, it hit me real hard. It's called The Writer. And that is R-I-D-E-R, not writer, writer. And uh, love that movie. Like, unbelievably, that movie hit me in a way I was not expecting um, now, Chloe, uh, who we're not on a first-name basis, but for some reason that's how I'm going to refer to her, um, she has also directed a Marvel movie that was supposed to come out in November called The Eternals with Kamel, Angelina Jolie, and a bunch of other people. Um, and it was obviously pushed back, but I'm, I'm excited for that. I don't know what her take on a Marvel film is going to be. Very curious to see that because she's a very um, intimate style director. She tells real stories uh, with actors, but like... If you look at the cast list for um, Nomadland, there are two professional actors and everybody else are real people who are basically playing versions of themselves. Um, very similar to what Sean Baker has done with Tangerine and Florida Project. Uh, something I, I noticed between those two filmmakers, they are very, um, they like to tell real life stories with a fictional narrative in it, but it's like all the surrounding content is based on something that's actually a thing. Uh, definitely worth watching. It may not work for everybody, but I still think it's worth everyone's time. McDermott is amazing in it. Um, and it's McDormand. I don't know why I'm saying her name incorrectly. but uh, And then I had some time. I actually got uh, – the tonight went by kind of fast. We had an earlier dinner than normal, so I got to Nomadland early. And I'm like – we had like two and a half hours before the podcast. So I'm like, oh, I might as well try to knock out another 1985 movie. And so I'm looking, and I have, like, three 85 movies in a row that are all 90 minutes long. I'm like, wow, I get a choice. Any one of these is, like, perfect time-wise. But I had to watch the Martin Scorsese film After Hours. Uh, I had very little – I knew this existed. I didn't know much about it. Um, and I have a, a lot of gaps on Scorsese's film list, so he's a director. I want to see more of his stuff. Um, and then I, I didn't realize, but Griffin Dunn from American Werewolf in, in London is the lead in this. Um, and there's a bunch of people in this movie, like Rosanna Arquette, Tommy Chong and Cheech Marin, Linda Florentino, Terry Garr, John Hurd, Catherine O'Hara um, are all in this movie, which if you don't know, John Hurd, Catherine O'Hara, parents of Home Alone 1 and 2, uh, 
they don't have a scene together in this movie. I don't think they, nope, I'm wrong. They are shown together at one point. Um, but I thought it was kind of a cool connection there. Uh, but, um, it's a, a, a talk too as a mom. Yes. Um, and she works with Eugene Levy a lot because of, uh, Christopher Guest. Uh, they, they've done several films together. Um, but, uh, I, it, well, I'm looking at the cast list, and again, I know like nothing about this movie. I turn it on, and I see this cast. I'm like, wait a minute, is this a comedy? And yes, it is a dark comedy, and that's so not in Scorsese's norm, oh. right? Like he doesn't usually do comedy. So I was like, oh, I'm so I'm so into this. Like, and it, it is it's quirky and funny. It's definitely got um done as is cast correctly because he has that same kind of vibe in, in American Werewolf, right? Like where there's a dark sense of humor to that film. Um, and that's again here. Is he the friend? I, I think he's the. You know, I I feel like he's the main guy, but now I'm gonna hit. I don't want to be wrong. Um, I'm gonna double check here. Yeah, I think he's the friend. Yeah, he is. Um, okay. But still, he's you know he's a, a sense of com comic relief and also very dark humor in that movie. Um, but I I enjoyed After Hours. Um. For a movie I knew very little about, I, I found it very entertaining, and uh, it, it's definitely got Scorsese's touch to it, for sure. Like, the direction's really strong, and it's great. So, um, not to say that it's perfect, but I enjoyed it. So, And then, uh, the last thing, um, I had to take Kathy to work super early this morning uh, for me. So, I ended up at my job early, but I, I didn't have to be there. So um, I decided while I was sitting there, I was going to watch WandaVision and uh, the newest episode that dropped last night, technically speaking. Um, and I, I really enjoy the show. If you're a Marvel Cinematic Universe fan, definitely recommend that you check out WandaVision. It is great so far. Um, there's two more episodes and I think that's it. I think or at least they have not announced if there is going to be a season two or not. I, I feel like they don't need to do that, but um, it's definitely worth checking out if you haven't so far uh i will say it's a lot of it's quirky it's fun and if you're a fan of sitcoms like me um especially i grew up like watching reruns and stuff there's a lot of like parallels and references to the sitcoms of the the various decades so uh, a lot of fun for me in that regard as well as the marvel stuff but um but yeah that's everything i've been watching it it was a lot um but there you go. Sometimes uh, you have a busy film week. I was just like pumping them out. Got to have a busy weekend too. I'm, I have a long list of movies I need to get through this weekend. So you usually play D and D on Fridays. D and D, for a multitude of reasons, has has slowed. Unfortunately, um, we were actually going to try tonight to either play D and D or play like a board game with our group. Uh, we haven't had a that group is not assembled since christmas basically uh we got wrapped up with stuff with christmas break and then we just haven't been able to get everything back on track and then one of our friends um in the group took on a coaching job at, the, at our school kind of unexpectedly and it was supposed to be like assisting and then it's kind of turned into like he's had to to do things because the other coach is having some things going on and um so that it, thursdays and fridays have been super busy for him and so it's just not been convenient okay um and like we were gonna try to do something tonight and it just didn't work out um but yeah so that that stinks but it is what it is i can't believe how fast time is moving yeah it's it's almost march already you know that's what's stressing me out too with yearbook our, our deadline's like march 16th i think and it's like it's it's right there, and we have it's to have it all done. You'll yeah. do fine. Uh, hopefully, it's always the last minute crunch, anyways. But it, it's especially challenging this year because it's just so many little things. But, um, well, listeners, we'll be right back, and we're gonna get into our review of the Fisher King from 1991. Hey, this is Matt from What I Watched Tonight. Come join me in the back row for movie discussion, retrospective episodes with guests, director-focused shows, end-of-year rankings, start-of-the-year predictions, and much, much more. There's more going on in the back row than you might think. So The Fisher King 
from 1991, directed by this guy. You may have heard of him, Terry Gilliam. Um, it stars a few up-and-comers, Jeff Bridges, Robin Williams, uh, David Hyde Pierce, who is actually, I believe, an up-and-comer at this point. This is before Frasier, I think, by a couple of years. Um, Laura Harris, Ted Ross, and I think that's pretty much everybody. Um, no, see, IMDb is really messing with me, how they're listing people. Um, Kathy, I, I can never say her name right, but she, I, I recognize her, Kathy Najimy who I believe is in Hocus Pocus. Yes. She yes. Um, she has a very small part in this movie. Did you catch her? Yes. Uh, she's hard to miss. Um, she's got such a, a, like a recognizable face and personality. I feel like she has a presence that just kind of like beams that kind of quirky, a little she bit. She is obnoxious. who she plays. Yeah. And then uh, the other two who should be higher up, um, Amanda Plummer and Mercedes Rule, who were for some reason not high on the list on IMDb, but are very high there. And Michael Jeter, I think, deserves some. He's the uh, the singing cabaret singer, homeless oh. guy. Um, and he's in a bunch of uh, Gilliam's work. So if you've seen a Gilliam film, there's a good chance you've seen him in those. Um, and Amanda Plummer, for me, uh, was pleasantly surprised to see her because I am a big fan of this Mike Myers movie called So I Married an Axe Murderer. Um which comes out in 93 and uh she's in that um she's also obviously honey bunny in pulp fiction um and apparently she's in hunger games catching fire i have no idea who she is in that and she's in hercules too but i don't know where and then she's i mean she's had a, a pretty busy career i just don't know all these other movies those are movies that i've seen um but uh I picked this one because when we when Corey picked the topic uh, for bromance for February, um, I I love bromances, but the problem when you love a, a genre is you've seen a lot of the movies in the genre, and the premise of our podcast is that we are talking about movies we haven't seen. So I had to do some research. I had to, like I looked up like best bromances, and I I was into the teens or so before I found a few that I hadn't seen, and I'm like the Fisher King, what's that? And I'm like Jeff Bridges, Robin Williams. Are you kidding me? I didn't know they, they had a bromance movie. And I didn't even pay attention to who the director was until way later. Um, and I got to admit something. I knew Terry Gilliam was attached to Monty Python. I knew he had uh, directed Brazil. And the thing I knew about Terry Gilliam was that he had been trying to make a Man from La Mancha, Don Quixote, movie for years. And it kept getting shut down for one reason or another. And he finally did a movie called Don Quixote with Adam Driver. Um a few years ago it was finally released and uh but it wasn't I, it wasn't the i feel like what i remember hearing about this movie because the movie's called the man who killed don quixote was it was a story about trying to make the story of don quixote or something like that like it was kind of like a meta commentary on his experience trying to get the original movie made so it still wasn't what he had set out to make or something like that so in my head he is a, a, a random director, actor who sometimes directed um, and had got like stuck in the system, right? And wasn't able to ever actually make the movie that he wanted. I'm looking at his filmography and I'm just like, wow, I am I was way off. He's directed so many movies um, and some of which I've seen and some of which I had not seen. Like I've, ne I've I remember or I knew about, but I haven't seen like. Time Bandits is one that's been on my radar for a long time. Um, the Brothers Grimm was not on my radar, but it's it's got Matt Damon in it. And is that Heath Ledger? It is. I didn't realize that was Heath and uh, Matt Damon together in that movie. Um, and he's got a few other movies that I've, I've heard of. Uh, but um, the movies that I've seen of his, obviously I've seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Big fan of that movie. Um, Twelve Monkeys. Uh, I not only have I seen a couple times now, but uh, Matt and I did a Bampocalypse episode. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which is a movie um, I've only seen once, but I, I've seen a lot of scenes from it many times. And uh, I like that movie. Um, and then Brazil, Matt and I also did the Bampocalypse episode on. We, we didn't like Brazil. Um, neither one of us really were clicking with what was going on there. It may be that we just didn't get it. It is it is a surreal kind of film, which is in his wheelhouse. That's uh, I would say there's elements of the Fisher King that definitely play into that. Um, he's definitely got a thing for the Holy Grail, as we mentioned, Monty Python, the Holy Grail, and Don Quixote is not a Grail quest, but he's on a quest, um, and he's a knight, or at least he thinks he is. And so, 
all of that um, kind of is interesting to me, this whole thing. Uh, but I had never seen this film before, and I assume, uh, I believe we already established this, but you had also never seen this movie. Correct. Um, let's, what were your initial thoughts? Did you, did you like it? Did you find it, uh, Gilliam style, odd, weird, etc.? Um, I've seen a couple, I've, it, I've seen, I think a couple of his movies. Um, I feel like this is very palatable. Whereas I watched Fear and Loathing a long time ago, a long time yeah. ago. I probably need to rewatch that as like an adult, but because I don't, I think I was like 15 or 16 when I watched it. And there were a couple of scenes in that movie that, you know, were yeah borderline terrifying. Um, and I haven't watched it since. So I feel like this would appeal, this movie would appeal to way more people. Um, I feel sure. like... I think it's it's a lot more accessible than some of his other stuff for sure. Mm. Yes. Um it's hard. This is the second movie I've watched with Robin Williams in it since he's passed away and it just doesn't I don't know. We both grew up with Williams, you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, on that note, I think that's a good segue for uh, the thing that shocked me the most about Williams oh. in this movie was his penis. So <laughs> I had not anticipated <laughs> ever in my life seeing robin williams's penis so when he got naked in the park i'm like surely it will be a a, a butt and maybe waist up nope now it was a it was shadowed very well but also not like it was definitely I'm like nope that's robin williams. yep there it is again there it is it's bouncing dude what is happening never never would i have expected to uh, again not an insult one male nudity especially like actual nudity uh, is uncommon in yeah. movies. That's been a problem. This is from '91, and Williams w- was not a new actor. He did not need to like, sh- you know. This was uh, most likely because it's Gilliam. Um, Gilliam's a, a very you know well respected uh, filmmaker at this time. He he only makes movies that he wants to make. He's not a commercial filmmaker in that way. Um, not not in the way like other filmmakers who only make movies to make money. Gilliam's going to make movies that he wants to make, and uh. So it was obviously a choice Williams was content with. And so, but it was just not one that I anticipated. Cause again, as you said, we grew up with Williams and a lot of the movies that you would watch as a kid were kid friendly films like Miss Doubtfire okay. being one that I was you know huge when I was a kid. I thought it was, you know, amazing. So funny. All the jokes. It's so he's funny. the genie. Um, oh yeah. Uh, it, but it's also kind of like, eh. um, but I, uh, I knew nothing about this movie. Like in any way, I was not expecting it to start as dark of a premise as it is that um, Jeff Bridges is playing, especially is 91. So he's playing a shock jock um, very much feels like in the vein of like a Howard Stern or at, for in this area would have been Bubba the love sponge at that time was a regular in the Florida scene. Um, and he essentially tells a guy that he's too big of a loser. No one's ever going to talk to him and he's done. And that dude goes and then shoots a bunch of people and kills himself. And uh, that's all. This is not a spoiler. This is the opening of the film. This is how the movie establishes what our premise is going to be. So this hits Jeff Bridges' character, Jack Lucas, hard, which is great because you see he has a conscious. And so it's also not a conscious at the same time because, like, yes, it, it hits him hard, but it's more of, like, what has this done to my career? He doesn't want to accept responsibility, but he clearly feels responsibility, but he's blaming the world has cursed him and this kind of thing. And that's where the story really takes place is him three years later after the incident. Um, he's down on his luck. He's having a really bad day. He ends up drunk and, and basically looking like he's homeless and he ends up being rescued uh, from two thugs who are apparently just beating up and killing homeless guys. Um, they, they go to attack him. They dump gasoline on him and Robin Williams as a knight comes to his aid. Now he is a homeless man, but he is acting to be a knight um, and like a vigilante of sorts. And uh, him and a few other homeless people fight off the two thugs and he rescues Jack. So this is Perry. Perry takes him to his home. And uh, this is kind of where the, the, the bromance begins. Um, it is a little bit of an unorthodox bromance, but it, I, I don't think you can dispute it being a bromance by the end of the film. I think you're right by the end 
yeah, it's it's not like you know because there are some movies where the bromance is the entirety of the film. It's not about the the relationship budding. It's like these are best friends, and this is them having an adventure. Well, that's not this. It's like a mutual. I feel like with most of them, it's a mutually beneficial type of situation. But in this one, it's mm-hmm. just Jack trying to pay his fare, pay his whatever it, he calls it. So I don't think oh, this is a spoiler either. No, no. I, I was gonna say I don't think this is a spoiler either here, um, because I think this is really where we get the. Uh, if this were a hero's journey, we'd be uh, crossing the threshold. He finds out that Perry is not all there by uh, the the guy who owns the building that Perry lives in the basement of, um, because his wife was killed by the guy who um, Jack didn't you know jack inspired or uh demeaned to the point where the guy felt motivated to kill people um and that's where jack takes on his quest right jack's quest is he feels responsible so he wants to help and that's where the movie really takes off um so we won't say any other details there but that is you know the the overall premise so um I, I enjoyed it. it. It is it's it's funny at times because it's Robin Williams, so the Robin Williams stuff is there. Um, Amanda Plummer's character is a little odd, um, but quirky Honey. odd. Like, and she often plays kind of quirky characters. Even Honey Bunny, I would say you could argue is very very quirky in Pulp Fiction. Um, and then uh, I actually really liked Mercedes Rule um, as Anna or Anne. Is it just Anne? It's Anne. Um, that's uh luke jack's new girlfriend um he has a very young girlfriend in the beginning of the film but after the events he his life kind of he loses the fancy job that he has as a dj which they make him look i don't know he's like a really prestigious dj apparently like even though he's unsatisfied because he wants to be more than just a voice but um like he's got like three people working for him and even though his studio is small it feels really fancy to me like like compared to other radio studios and whatnot. Um, but uh, before we get the spoilers, is there anything else you want to add? Mm, no. Then let's do it. Guys, from here on out, we are going to talk about this movie in great detail. You have been warned. I have a quick question. Yes. So is was Perry's wife the beautiful woman that the guy was talking about on the phone call? Hmm. I don't know if they uh clarify that or not. I don't. I don't think so. I. It felt like the the killings were more random. Just that that location was like this hot spot for uh people. Um, but I. I it could be for sure. And again, that might have been him misreading her signals, kind of thing. Um, but it. it I guess it doesn't matter in the end. No, but there was a scene that I just was not really expecting in the movie that was pretty, you know. Perry having, like, the flashback of the events? Yeah, but that one scene where she gets shot in the head and, like, all that flesh and stuff or, you know, all of her matter, I don't know, hits him in the face and I just yeah. was not expecting that. That's, uh, I would say that's, Gilliam doesn't shy away from stuff like that. Um, Brazil is very crazy with a few scenes like that. And uh, 12 Monkeys is, is 12 Monkeys feels more expected with whatever is there. Where like this movie, there is a fantasy vibe to it. There is a, a very much a Monty Python kind of vibe to this, I think, uh, because of Williams. I think Williams... And let's if we pull this back a second, I'm sure there's a degree of Williams is I, I would be surprised if Robin Williams was not a fan of the Holy Grail. You know, I think that's a comedy legend. Most people love that film. Um, and I, I feel like he brought that to this role, especially it being a Holy Grail movie, because that is um, he tells Jack that he's the one who's going to help him retrieve the Holy Grail that he saw in a magazine in this rich guy's home whose house is basically a castle. Um and 
Jack refuses. There's some things that they never really get into, like, detail. Like, he says he sees a bunch of little fat people, and I don't know if I just don't know that, like, fantasy reference, but I'm like, I don't... What is that? Like, why are they little fat people flying around? Are they cherubs? Is that what he's... You know, I don't know if I'm supposed to take more of that, if that was just Williams riffing, because that is... Williams is known to just go off script and just say things, and if they were funny, they stick. Um, That... From my understanding, that is not how Gilliam works. Um, I watched the 12 Monkeys making documentary, and Gilliam's a pretty stringent, like, you're going to do it the way I want. So I don't know if there was... Con- I'd like to... I actually want to do more research on this movie because I don't know... I, I knew nothing about this film going into it, and I, I'd like to know if there's, like, any kind of behind-the-scenes stuff. I have not looked, um, but I, I would be curious to see a making of uh, The Fisher King. Um I, I, I also feel, I feel like this movie's not appreciated enough, though, because, I again, I haven't heard about it, you know? Like, and I, I consider myself a Robin Williams fan, and we did we did Jeff Bridges on this podcast a year ago, right? We did four or five movies of Bridges. This one wasn't even on our radar. I don't even feel like when I was researching for those movies that I remembered seeing this, you know what I mean? Yeah. And maybe I... I mean, yeah, we should have at least... I mean, maybe... Maybe we're just both like Fisher. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like fish. And that's, I, I was the whole time wondering what the name was. And you do get a story, an amazing story uh, about the, the Fisher King and what that is. And the reference to the grail, which I guess that's a legend that I've never heard, which I also feel like I'm like, I, I feel like I, I'm familiar enough with like Arthurian legend that I should have heard about the Fisher King, but I don't know it. Um, it has a 61 Metascore, which is not good, but it's not bad. Um, you know, it's a positive rating on Metascore. Uh, 7.5 IMDb user score and a 3.8 on Letterboxd. So, like, generally speaking, people like the movie. Critics were a little harsher on it, it sounds like. Um, but I, I, I feel like that might just be true of Gilliam and Williams. I think Williams uh, is up and down with critics uh, because he is he's Williams. Like he brings Robin Williams into a movie. He's not, it's if you cast Robin Williams, your character will be shaped to match him in almost every regard. Very rarely does he tone it down. Uh, There are exceptions. I think Goodwill hunting is a a pretty strong exception where he shows that he is capable of turning it down. Um, He still has the moments where he's Williams, but um, and I think early nineties, he's just in this, persona like this is who he is you're getting that i mean that's literally you get a similar performance as the genie that same year if i'm not mistaken i'm pretty sure aladdin's 91 um and if it's not 91 it's like in that ballpark for sure but um 92 it's next year um uh, he did dead poet society but really while that is a dramatic movie he is a big figure in that film, right? He looms large. He's standing on top of desks and, and getting people to cheer for him. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't know. I really, I, I liked a lot about this movie. Yeah. I feel like though, we don't really see anything in that, you know, restaurant or bar or whatever it is. And then they hit us with that. And I know it's, yeah, you know what I mean? I just, I guess I wasn't expecting so much. I, I, I think that's what I mean. So think of the context of that scene. It's it's essentially a repressed memory that we're finally being privy to that he hasn't seen himself. So it's not like Gilliam kept information from us. It's the characters kept information from us. And we're now seeing that force its way into the into his mind. Um, and as traumatizing as it is to us, it's extra traumatizing to him where it puts him in, into that catatonic state, you know? yeah. So, but again, it is shocking, but I, I think he, he sets it up to be traumatic with that in mind that this is going to shatter Perry. We need to also feel that kind of shattering and it it's, it's jarring for sure. I mean, even I was shocked when we heard the news report, like, like Jake uh, or Jack, when he hears the news report and he like sits down and he just looks stunned. I was like, what is happening? Is that really what this movie is going to do? And it's 91. So like mass shootings were not a norm like they are now, you know, where like, I literally had, um, Oh, you're, uh, I literally had a thing hung on my wall this week at work 
uh, of, of flip cards so that in the event of an emergency, a sub or myself can pull this card thing down and we can like, okay, there's a, a gun on campus. These are the procedures that we're supposed to do. I mean, we're supposed to, we know them anyways, but now it's like there's a literal card required to be at my door to, to well, cover such things. It's like, I can't imagine being in a situation like that. And sometimes I like freeze or I forget, you know what I'm supposed to to do i guess i don't know thankfully i've you know we've not been in those situations but i could see (laughs) you know what i mean that's horrible to say but i don't know it would just be a lot i think though at first i felt like when watching this movie it took a really long time for jack to be redeemed yeah it took a really long time um and i don't know he just uses people and then spits them out I don't like shock jocks. You and I have talked about this before a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they did a very good job making him testable right away. Yeah, big time. You know, and then he just, I don't, you think that he's turning into a better person after he helps set up, um, oh, what's her name? Amanda Blummer. Lydia? Lydia. Lydia and Harry. And then he like carries Merce- uh, his girlfriend into the house. Ha- you know, their how their apartment or whatever. But then the next day he just pretty much is breaking up with her. It's like after everyone has served their purpose with him, he's just done. Mm-hmm. Trash to the wind. But um that's it's a common script writing is to to have this false defeat. He it looks like in his eyes, he's won, but for us, I think we're all like, "What? What happened? You went backwards, like you regressed." And in his eyes, he was, he was a, a gorgeous prince, right? And that incident, the shooting, was him being turned into a beast, which, because in his eyes, he went from being rich and having the young girlfriend and having the fancy clothes and job to now working in a video store that primarily, apparently, rented porn, um, <laughs> having. A woman his own age who was still very, very attractive, but he didn't see her as a trophy girlfriend. It was more of a consolation prize. Uh, he was dressing sloppily. He was drinking like he was a beast in his own eyes. Right. And then um, now he the curse was broken. And and so he's returned to this like glamorous lifestyle. But I think that's when he realizes that that wasn't the curse. He still didn't feel fulfilled. He still didn't feel good. Even if you think back, he wasn't fulfilled with the life he had, even though I think many people would argue his old life was pretty great, but he was looking for more. He wanted more. There was this uh, greed, and that's where we see him kind of change. And even at first, he doesn't admit he wants to help Perry, right? And that the scene where Perry gets attacked, by the way, we need to talk about. Um, Because when I saw those guys, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. And then they cut him, and I'm like, oh, my God. Are they going to kill that's what I this character afraid of. I would have I don't know if I could have handled it if he had died like I'm glad it, it ends up just being like catatonic and then he's okay like later in the movie because I would have been like no too real yeah dude those guys I hope they go to prison man they were crazy terrible. and they kept going to the same place like because they knew homeless people would be there like that's, we're tired that's of looking horrifying out of our windows and seeing you people which I I don't I know there was some attitude about the homeless in New York, uh, which they never say. I don't feel like they say it's New York, but it I definitely think it's supposed to be New York, right? Yeah, I felt like um, it was. Yeah, I don't think it says it, so it could be like a fictional. Because the castle threw me off. I'm like, I don't I don't think there's like a castle looking building in New York. Maybe there is. I haven't seen all of New York, but um, but it it could be like a fictional New York, or it might be one of those movies where it's. It's Gilliam, so it definitely could be more surreal in nature that it's like this kind of hybrid of all the big cities. Um, but definitely a big city problem in the early 90s. And New York was like the cleanup. New York was the the mantra for a while. So I could see it, you know, twisting into that murderous state that it appears to have done to these, at least these two guys. Um, I'd like to do a little more research on that, too, and see if there is like a context, uh, if something had happened, if there was like, were there people murdering homeless people in New York that I didn't know about? Um, I mean, there's the son of Sam killer, which um, is in the seventies, but like, I don't know. Uh, I've, I've only seen Spike Lee's movie about that. So that's all, all I know really about son of Sam is from what I, what the Spike Lee movie was built, built around. But um, I, I am curious on that regard, but also then 
Williams, uh, the catatonic state, and we see Jack go through, finally go through the change that we've been waiting for, where he admits that he cares about Perry. The friendship finally being the thing that brings him out of it. And, um, it's because he, they do, yeah, it is New York, because they, I was like, because he finally gets nude with Perry in Central Park. Mm-hmm. Mm. They do not show Bridges in this, <laughs> and that's worthy of note. Um, they must have he must have wanted too much money or something. But uh, yeah, that that scene's fun. Um, but the first the first time when Perry's naked and he tells the Fisher King story, I, I think that scene's really really powerful. And again, it shows that when Williams Williams can deliver a monologue uh pretty great i mean the goodwill hunting monologue is one of my favorites and then that monologue there it's there's still the air of humor because he's naked um and you can tell that jack is a little uncomfortable with the fact that he's naked but uh do it (laughs) but yeah it's it's i don't know i i actually like this quite a bit i kind of um i don't want to immediately go back to it but i am curious to rewatch this at some point i i I feel like it's kind of a, a missed gem from 91. You know, like it's not a film that people I know have actively talked about. Um, I don't have a lot of friends who are big Gilliam fans. I know he has a fan base. Um, you know, I like I don't Matt and I, I think, are about the same as far as what we've seen. Um, I bought Brazil on Criterion because of my friend Craig, who's been on on this show a few years ago. He did a top five uh, movie and he used to do music musing podcast i think uh that is temporarily on hiatus but um you know he he brazil was on his top five that's what made me uh buy it because i'm like i've never even heard of this movie Uh, or i'd heard of it but i hadn't i had no real knowledge of it like i knew it existed but i didn't know anything about it and so you know to me like these two guys these two actors are two that i love and uh to have not seen them to not know that they had done a movie together in a bromance scenario was, was shocking to me. So I'm glad that it came up. I'm glad we got to watch it. And uh, I'm glad that it's another positive check for Gilliam for me. I have a question. Maybe I missed yes. this, but does he ever tell Perry who he is? That he's responsible for the, the killing? Well, I mean, the, I don't know that it's fair, but that he feels their responsible connection. Yeah. I don't think so. Um, I'm trying to remember for sure, but I don't think he does. Um, he might when he is catatonic because he has that whole like, oh, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. All right, I'll do it if it means, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like it's him arguing with himself, but he might have uh, admitted something there. I, I feel like there's a scene where he starts to bring it up and then I think Perry shuts him down. Um, But I... I I get the vibe that Perry is a little more aware than he lets on. And I think he knew who Jack was like that. That's he was the, the, the DJ. Cause the, that's the thing. The news really shocked me is like Jack's called out on the news, like right away, like that his, he pushed this guy to, to go kill these people. Um, so it's not like it's not, it's definitely common knowledge around. Um, and again, it could be that Perry knows, but is also maybe that's why he says you're the one. Like, cause he knows that you're the one who did this, even though that's not how he says it, but maybe that's the implication. Is that how um, he's supposed to redeem himself as getting the grail? Maybe. Um, and of course the grail not being the actual grail. It's just a, like, <laughs> trophy. trophy. It's like basically a number one dad trophy. Just like the things that they set up in this movie too. Like that the old, he has, he's a millionaire, right? He's like trying to overdose with like pills and alcohol yeah. while he's breaking into the house and i don't know just like crazy things yeah and then he has to he decides to leave through the front door so the alarm will go off <laughs> which is like a very like very movie style alarm it's like a giant red laser and the like, cops are already like, you hear them. yeah they're i mean of course it's a rich white guy they're ready to help Fair. um uh but but yeah um i i i I wish I could say for certainty that he doesn't tell him, but I, I don't think he does. Um, but it was, I was wondering that too, if that was going to happen. Cause that a lot of movies that would have been like the, where the friendship ends and Perry, he has to, you know, beg, but that's not this movie. He's like, no, no, Perry's just going to go into a coma because the red knight chased him until his mind broke. Like, ah, yes. Yes. That, that old cliche. Oh wait. Um, we talked yeah, about it. Uh, so now we're going to start seeing it everywhere though everywhere just red knights chasing everybody um 
with that, uh, I, I'm going to say not quite golden for me. I don't think it's a must-see, but I do think it's really good. I feel like I'm going to go with must-see. Wow, very cool. Yeah. I like that. I um, feel like even like for the 90s, just the like the mental health stuff mm. is important. Yeah. Even yeah. now, but like it was 91, right? It is, it's 1991. Yeah. A little long too. Uh not not in a bad way, but it is it's 2 hours and 13 minutes, which is a little little much. Um I know I saw that and I was like but, not, but that it was fine. Yeah, I was like Corey's upset, Oh my god, but... I loved his girlfriend though, and I'll stop talking. <laughs> No, no, you talk as much as you want. What else? You want to add something else? No, I just loved her, and I'm glad that he went back to her. And I love that she slapped him. Although, there is a little bit of a problematic thing with that, though, right? Because yeah. like, he, like, basically says, I've been stalking you. Oh! To the point that I can tell you your daily routine. Oh! And she's just like, oh, I love you. Oh, I'm talking about his girlfriend, uh, Anne, oh, at the end, slapping Jack's him. Girlfriend. Jack's, Jack's girlfriend. girlfriend. I know. I was waiting for... At that point, I was like, oh, no, stop talking. Stop talking. You're going to ruin this. But she's a little strange enough that she found it endearing. So, Like, a lot endearing. Although, even though I don't think that's healthy, um, I do love her coming to take care of him after after he has a mental breakdown. His pajamas, insisting that his pajamas are on, like, and questioning the treatment he's receiving. Like, she, she had they had not earned that level of commitment to each other. And she immediately gave it to him again, super problematic because she fell in love with him because he was stalking her. And again, he was stalking her with no ill will. I don't know. I mean, I feel like stalking such a strong word because Corey, he knew his daily, he knew her daily routine. She also does the same thing on the same days. You know, I mean, you're not wrong, you but know, that doesn't justify somebody who doesn't know you knowing that. I feel <laughs> like, like I see what you're saying, but it's not like he was following her home. I don't know. I also I think it's creepy. It's definitely like, I don't know. I don't want people paying attention to me most of the time. But yeah, I mean, I see. It's what hard to say it's not. You're saying, but there was no malice. Which you don't know that oh it's like in this case in this movie yes. we knew right yeah but she didn't she didn't know that that's fair especially let's not forget that they were only on a date because of a lie that was established <laughs> by Jack remember to, as a ruse to get Dude. her there yeah like and I I know we do this all the time where we're like we're done and then we keep talking but I also loved seeing both of the women like both of them interacting with each other like they're so. Yeah. being sassy to begin with and then they get drunk and she does her nails and stuff i just they're very close at the end of that scene and uh, yeah i like that a lot too um oh the the chinese food eating <laughs> it's just so out. frustrating right i'm like Her girl lomaine i can i can use chopsticks better than you and i am not good at it she is not good with chopsticks. I mean, but then the like trying to like she's got the big bowl of noodles in like the tiniest plate ever. It looks like a bread plate, and she's trying to like pour noodles, and they're just going everywhere. I'm losing my mind. The I'm fork, like, oh, like trying to oh, cut them man. off the plate. Oh man, it's so bad. Yeah, and she's like, like scraping with the chopsticks. They oh. already like established that she's clumsy, and she like every single time she goes into that revolving door, she like gets stuck or can't like. You know, she drops stuff all the time. I think, I don't know. Yeah. Kind of funny. Well, I'm I'm getting a little tired, folks. Been up since uh, 4.30. Gross. And I think it's time for Sleepy Sleeps. Um, but let's talk about our next episode. When we come back next week, we're going to finish the bromance uh, theme for the month of February 2021. And we're ending with a movie I have seen a few times, but Corey has never seen. And it, it's a bromance amongst bromances. It's Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, um, directed by George Roy Hill, stars uh, Paul Newman, a guy you may have heard of, Robert Redford, a guy you may have heard of, think so. Catherine Ross, and then a lot of people that we're most likely not going to know, but they are all good in their roles. I have seen this film at least uh, for sure twice, I think three times. Um, I didn't get to teach it this year. It's, it's become my favorite uh 
usually when I teach a genre, I do an older movie and then I do a more modern film. This is not quite in the realm of where my students would consider it modern, but it's such a different type of Western that I love putting this up against like Shane because they're just very different movies. And um, I mean, Corey, there is a scene in this movie um, that is it's so it's so out of place and it's so great. I, I'm, I'm not even going to tell you what it is because I just want you to experience it when it happens. Uh, but it, it every time because it's it it breaks the conventions of the genre like so, so much. But um, I, I adore this movie mainly because of the bromance. I love um, uh, Robert Redford and Paul Newman together. They're just they have so much chemistry. We, we watched The Sting a few months ago, right? Um, and they, those guys are together in the sing and now they're back together here in, in Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. I think that's right. Maybe the sing is after, but I feel like the sing was before. I think the sing's 67. Um, I could be wrong, but I'm going to check now because I have to know. Oh, I'm way wrong. It's 73. So completely wrong. It's after Butch Cassidy. So this is their first time together and then they get back together for uh, the sting. But that's what we're going to be reviewing next week, listeners. So we uh, will return in the meantime, you can follow us on social media. I am at Burke Reviews and Corey. At Queer Star 2 Rs on the end. And if you like what we're doing here, we ask that you take just a minute to rate and review the podcast because it helps us find new listeners and then find us. So if you like it, take that moment on whatever podcast provider you use to say, hey, these guys are good. With that, we thank you. Stay warm wherever you are. Stay safe. Mask up. And most importantly, keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com.